0: We live in a society where we quickly order things and we want it to go right now. And yet romance is something that is nurtured and developed uh, within us. a matter of fact, um, I do a lot of premarital counseling and uh, uh, I talk to young couples and I talk to them about intimacy. And the reality is very few couples in marriage find true intimacy. They often live parallel lives. Uh, they fail to really communicate and and develop the intimacy that they ought to have uh, because it takes a lot of work. And you know we're kind of we're just like everybody else, and we throw our shoes one place and hang our coat another place, and it's awkward for that person or the other person. Or you hang a bag on a doorknob, and I mean I'm, you know I don't want to get personal here, but. But I mean, we have you know these idiosyncrasies, and it's easy for us to allow those idiosyncrasies to become glaring in our lives. And because of that, often people choose to live parallel lives and not really have the intimacy that they ought to have. As I talk to couples about um, their love relationship, their love. Uh, for one another, I talked to him about a triangle. Uh, that tr- genuine love is going to have three parts to that triangle. It's going to have intimacy, knowing one another, knowing one another's heartbeat. Uh, that intimacy is developed over time. It's developed as we listen to one another, as we share what is called vault experiences with one another, it's a vault experience because what I shared with you, I've never shared with anyone else, and it's sacred and it's special. and And I trust you enough that I'm sharing you my innermost thoughts and my innermost feelings, my innermost fears. I tell you things that I don't tell anyone else, and it's a vault experience because it's not shared with anyone else. And it's in those experiences that we develop intimacy. Intimacy has developed over time. I, I remember when Debbie and I were dating. Um, as I began to fall in love with her and begin to recognize how special she was in my heart and in my life. Uh, her granny passed away. I, I, she was old. I think a hundred or something. One hundred. I don't know how old she was, Debbie. But she was old. She had uh, diabetes and she... Uh, had a leg that was amputated and, and she got older, she wasn't thinking clearly and she thought, you know, if I hang the other leg off the side of the bed, then I could get new legs. And so she did, but she didn't get new legs. Uh, when she passed away, uh, I remember going to the funeral with Debbie and we were just dating uh, and I remember holding her and our cheeks were touching one another and this warm tear from her eye, brushed across my cheek. They were kind of split between the two of us. There was this moment of intimacy as we cared for one another, as we loved one another through times of grief. Uh, you see, intimacy really has developed over time. Uh, the love that we have for one another, Barb and Vicky, is really because of the time that we've spent together. In good times and in bad times, difficult times. Uh, But there's an intimacy there. Well, a strong marriage will have intimacy, have romance and commitment. What often happens is couples will meet one another and there is romance. Oh, I love him. I love her. And... You know, it's better to marry than to burn. They read the Scripture and so they marry and yet there's no intimacy. They don't know one another. And a year later, they make an appointment with Chuck Howey and and the conversation goes something like this. Well, I didn't know him. I didn't know her. It's foolish love because they made this commitment without knowing one another. They allowed their... um, passions to drive them, and they made decisions based upon their feelings. That's a foolish type of love. Another love that we see very prevalent in our society today is one of passion and, and intimacy. And so they move in together and live together, and yet there's no Commitment to one another. Well, a strong marriage is going to have in this triangle all three pieces intimacy, commitment, and romance. And it's ever expa- expanding as you grow together and as you love one another. Well, as we look at the scripture today, a sacred romance to go, uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, which is the Great Commission. We see in a similar way three parts of this triangle. Let's turn into the scripture. Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this first point is we must look upward. If we're going to have a strength in this triangle of reaching the loss for Christ, we must first turn to the Savior. For He is our strength. He is the one who, who has commissioned us and has empowered us to do the work that He's called us to do. We are called to baptize and teach. We are commissioned and empowered to engage a world that needs to know about the love of God. And we need to remember when we go... That God is present in our going. Look at verse the verse there it says, And surely I am with you always. As we go about doing the work of the Lord, he goes before us. I am with you always. In reality, we are his ambassadors of reconciliation. The truth is, many people will not know of Christ unless we share Christ with them. Unless we live our lives in such a way that we become a reflection of the Father. We are called to be His ambassadors of reconciliation. We are commissioned, empowered, equipped to go and to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we do not go along go alone. He goes with us. Think with me the first time you remember sharing your faith with someone else. I remember uh, my youth pastor saying, you have not because you ask not. And, And he was talking about sharing our faith. I never shared my faith before. I was a new Christian and I didn't know what it meant really to share my faith. I didn't have the Romans road before me. And, and I was learning these things. And he said, you have not because you asked not. And that rang true with me. And I began to ask the Lord, Lord, would you provide me an opportunity to share my faith? And that same week, as I worked as a lifeguard in the pool, there was a checker who worked checking individual's clothes as they would come and go from the pool He said, Rex, there's something different about you. And it was an open door. And I began to share what Christ had done to my heart and my life and how His transforming power was changing me from the inside out. We, We have not because we ask not. And yet Christ instructs us, empowers us, equips us to go. And He promises that He will be with us even to the very end of the age, the Scripture says. He continually provides for us His example through His life, His guidance through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He provides power for us that is not only transforming us into His image, but empowers us to be salt and light in our world. You see the truth is we do not go in our own strength. If we go in our own strength it'll be for naught. But when we go with the good news of Christ it changes everything. A few years back I took a group of teens in New York City. We worked in the inner city We went to Furnish the Future and helped the homeless move to housing. We worked at the Salvation Army and served in soup kitchens. We traveled to Connecticut and and, uh, by, by train every morning, a group of us, and we worked with Young Life remodeling a youth center that they had. While in New York, I said to the teens, if you're not careful, you're going to miss Christ this week. For you see, you are most like Christ when you serve the world around you. And our schedule was so busy activities all day, serving the community, uh, Broadway shows, baseball games, seeing the inner city, seeing the city of New York. And and then we would get back and we would leave with the devotional time. We would get back with the devotional time. and, And the kids would gather in this. Great hotel room, 40 plus kids, almost 50 of us. And they would lean against the wall and I could see them falling to sleep very quickly. For as soon as they sat down, and I was afraid that they would miss it. They would miss the, the opportunity for worshiping the Lord. You see, the first one is we must look upward. We must worship Him. When they saw Him, they worshiped him. But what does worship look like? You see, it's much more than goosebumps on Sunday. It's much more than a, than a sermon illustration that tugs at your heart. And, and I know those ones that really get at your heart, especially when you talk about children and my daddy says. But it's so much more than goosebumps. Worship is about living our lives for the Father. I love Romans chapter twelve, verse one. Romans twelve one says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In this sacred romance to go the very first part of that triangle is we must look upward. We must worship our Heavenly Father. We must worship Him with our time, our talent, our resources, with our being. Verse 2 of Romans 12 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern, longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. You see, worship is more than goosebumps. It's a a way of life. It's giving and surrendering. Pastor Edgar sang the song, I Surrender All. Isn't that the essence of worship? I surrender all, Lord, whatever you want. Not my will, but thine be done. Use me, Lord. Help me to be your hands today. Would you direct my feet, my mind, my heart, or my mouth to the things of God? Would you help me, Lord, to worship you with my actions, my attitudes? See, it's so much more than goosebumps. It's a, it's a way of life, a transforming way of life. And so this first part of this triangle is we must look upward. The reason we need to look upward is because we are in a world that needs Christ. It's vividly described for us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. Timothy says this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful and proud. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love. Unforgiving. Slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal. Not loving of the good. Treacherous. Rash. Conceited. Lovers of pre- pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness. But denying It's power. My uh, research for my doctoral dissertation was on college student student beliefs and values. And as I worked through that dissertation, I read a lot about spirituality in our world today. And young people rate themselves as being spiritual, but not necessarily religious. See, spiritual becomes a lot of different things. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. You see, if the world around us is going to understand about the good news of Jesus Christ, it's going to happen because we go. And as we're going, we must understand that it's, we must look upward. They were obedient and they went to the mountain and, and they waited for him there. Second, we must look outward. Verse 19 says, Therefore, go, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You see the Great Commission is outward in nature. It's it's us looking to the needs of the world around us. It's not self centeredness, it's selflessness. The world is in need of a Savior. And Jesus' final command to His followers that day challenged them not to a life of complacency or self-absorption or even callousness. It wasn't about being ingrown and looking inward, but it was about looking out to a world around them. Go and make disciples of what? All nations and so we are called to go to all. As a youth pastor, I often did things that I really didn't like that much. Fundraising was one of those. It was kind of a necessary evil. You know, you, you wanted every kid to be able to go on that mission trip, on that activity that, that you've planned. And you wanted every student, regardless of their income, to be able to go. And so it was important to me to help them, to show them how they could go on a trip, how they could raise their own way to, to do that. And so we gave them a lot of fundraising opportunities. But there were also um, activities that I planned that I just felt like, what's this got to do with the Great Commission? What's this got to do with the church anyway? And the junior-senior prom alternative was one of those events. You know, I would meet with a, a student action leadership team every year and we'd plan the calendar and, and I wanted their input. I didn't want to dictate to them how the activities we would do. And every year, you know, we, they, oh, we want to do a, a, a prom alternative or junior senior banquet or I hated those things. I mean, I'm just thinking there's such better ways to spend your money than than buying a dress and buying a suit and and going to Chicago and, and spending $60 for a meal. I mean, the kingdom of God, we could make a great deal of difference for the kingdom of God if we'd spend our money in different ways. And I struggled with it. I always just struggled with this balance. I, I knew that it was important to have these outreach activities and to spend time with students, and, and there were moms who just really wanted me to give their girls an alternative, and, and there was all this pressure to do the junior senior prom thing. So you plan and you plan, and you do all these activities. I went on a junior senior prom alternative and we uh, uh, went up to uh, the John Hancock building and we ate dinner and spent way too much money and then we went up to the next floor and had cheesecake. No, we went to the cheesecake factory and had cheesecake and then we went and jumped on a cruise and went down through Chicago on the river. Everyone was excited about it except for me. (laughs) <laughs> I spent a lot of time planning this event Working with the moms And, and all those different I mean they had hors d'oeuvres And pictures and, and all this stuff And you know I just tolerated it I'm thinking we could go on a mission trip For the cost of this event And I had everything planned out I even figured out where we would park And, and made arrangements to uh, Park to get onto the boat So we pulled the vans up to the parking places that I planned to park in, and all those spots were full. So I had to park across Michigan Avenue, across the bridge, underneath the bridge, and it's starting to sprinkle a little bit and rain a little bit, and and the boat is leaving at a certain time, and, and I drop everybody off at the dock and park way a quarter of a mile away, and I'm running back, thinking... Why am I doing this? And I see the, the captain of the boat. He's starting to throw off the lines. Getting, you can see the motor turning. And I'm running down Michigan Avenue. We're down these concrete stairs down to the, the landing. and And I see the boat start to pull away. And I don't hesitate. I jump over top of the rail and onto the boat. When I got back, I wrote a message, don't be left standing at the pier. (laughs) I'm afraid that if we're not careful, we could become so busy, so preoccupied with the outward things of ministry that we miss the boat. We can become so busy with the work of God that we rarely hear the voice of God. And you see, there's a balance here, isn't there? One of worship. One of outward. We must look outward. I had a friend of mine, Billy Murray. He was great at the outward events. He was a youth pastor, par excellence. Just unbelievable. The stuff he would do, you know, the big blow-up things, and this was before the big blow-up things were a big thing, and and concerts and events, and hundreds of kids would come. Uh, his numbers were ridiculous, how many kids he would bring to an event. He was an event guy. My ministry was a whole lot different. It was Bible quizzing and talent and... The Bible study, smaller, but more discipling, and we have to have that balance of this triangle, don't we? It's it's not just all outward; it's the balance. And so, when we think about this triangle, it's not one, but all. We must look upward, but we also must look outward, and the final one is, we must look inward. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, we must be constantly teaching others to follow Christ by example. For it's not really what we say, it's how we live that impacts the world around us. During the second interim, I wrote an interim statement, Loving, Learning, and Leading. A lot of you were here then. It really resonated with the congregation. It helped us through a difficult, some difficult days. It went something like this. Loving. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind, and, all, and your neighbors yourself. We want to be a people who are committed to loving God, each other, our community, and our world. Learning. We want to be a people who are faithfully who faithfully sit at the feet of Jesus, and therefore create a space where obedience to truth is practice. And then I'd ask people to hold up their Bible. Will you repeat after me, John eight thirty two? Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we'd quote that verse. But I love that phrase. Creating a space in which obedience to truth is practiced. You see, we must look upward in our worship with our life. We must look outward if we're going to make a difference for the kingdom of God. But we also must create a space where obedience to truth is practiced. Looking inward. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, it's not a legalistic um, giving on how you ought to live. But it's living before one another. Christ's example. It's this inside out transformation that's happening in my life. Given to others. We must continue to grow and to mature as followers of Christ. We must be students of the Word. We must allow God's Holy Spirit to transform us. We must daily surrender all. So they went and they worshiped. Acts 6 says this, in those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, "It it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn, we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we'll give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see, it's a balance, isn't it? This triangle. It's a balance of worship. Of going and learning and learning. The last one was, you must look inward. You know, as pastors, as board members, we wrestle with this whole issue of the Great Commission. What does it look like? What does that mean for us? How can we do it well? And the truth is, the answer isn't in a purpose statement or a mission statement. The answer is in a life of obedience. A life where we worship Him. A life where we grow and learn from Him. And we go. Let us pray. Lord, this upward calling is bigger than us. Your word says if um, we do not speak out, the rocks will cry out. Help us to daily to proclaim your glory with our lives. I have to be honest, Lord, I fall short so often. I find myself thinking about the things I want. Become self-centered and struggle. And yet, Lord, Your Word brings me back time and time again. This Great Commission, we've heard it, probably those of us in this room, it seems like a million times. And yet, Lord, we're reminded of the significance of your call. Help us, Lord, to worship you. Help us in our going to realize that we do not go alone, that you stand with us and you are with us to the end of the age, the scripture says. And help us, Lord, to learn from you. To be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit in our lives. To realize that not only are we loved by you, but that we are called by you. And we pray this in your wonderful, blessed name. Amen.